There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. So we are going to China. We're going to China. Maybe we'll even spend the whole time here in China. Because I am starting to get my understanding better on this i do apologize to you know other times before but there is a lot going on in this period here there really is we even have the battle of shao <laughs> the battle of shao it's it's spelled x-i-a-o that's how it's <laughs> <laughs> it's not pronounced like that, i have no it? idea i'm gonna have to ask my friend my chinese friends i have one Xiao. It's, yeah it's like Xiao. That's the hard thing when you're doing a podcast and you're saying these words and it's hard for people to understand. So I may say stuff like this one was on the north and this was on the left. I should say the west or the east. Okay. Give us an overview of China in the 620s BC. Okay. The overview of China in the 620s BC is we're still in the spring and autumn period. So if you look at a map, you'll see that there's these, all these central states and they're just they're fighting over the, the area for, you know, Years. I mean, it doesn't go it end until the unification of China in the 200s. So this period is called the Spring and Autumn period, and a lot of this stuff was written by Confucius. So there's probably a lot of his, you know, kind of Confucius and his and his disciples. His flavor is in there. So, but in the time period, uh, one thing was honor was a big deal. All kinds of honor and ritual, and also revenge. Is a big, and it's still, like if you watch, uh, you know, martial arts movies, revenge is a big theme. So, you know, getting revenge on somebody who did something, but honor, like the way they would do battle, for example, they would start a battle a lot of times with uh, this ritualistic chariot like matchup. And the two chariots from each one each side would come and they would sort of fight each other, shoot arrows at each other, and then do all these things and say, okay, now the battle can commence. Now, if you remember in the last episode we had we, where we covered China, 
you know, they remember Mao said, we have no time for this kind of a, you know, way, you know, he let the guy cross the river and then they got him. So that's sort of a thing. Now, if you look, I have this map on here. It's like, yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking at the map right now and it's uh, horrible. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, it looks like somebody, <laughs> it's small blots of stuff on it, but we also have a simpler map that is still super exactly. confusing. We should post those on Facebook as this episode yes, airs. Yes, I will. I will do that. That I can, I'm pretty good at. There are a lot of small states in China. There are, and they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, they're still going to be, um, but there's some of the major ones. So, and then today, you know, the major ones that we're gonna talk about are Jin, J I N, Chu, C H U, and Qin, Qin, Q I N. Those are the those are some bigger states, and then some of the two smaller ones are Zheng, which is sort of in the middle of Jin of Jin and Chu. So it's sort of like, well, they're in trouble because they're you know, my father used to say when two dinosaurs fight, the little ones get murdered in the middle. So, you know, that's kind of their spot. And then Zhou, because that's the the Zhou is technically still the king of Zhou is technically the king of everybody, and all the other states are dukes but you know in real life they have their own armies and their own power and their own governments but they, they maintain this ritualistic uh, kingship of exactly for a yes. long time with the bronze cauldrons and they would do the you know the very these religions i just the more you study it they're just so ritualistic and just like i just can't help to say like ocd like you have to burn bones and do this or the gods will not bring the water. So if you don't do this, you know, there wasn't really as much of like, you know, God, you've this loving God. I know I go on and on about that. So anyway, there's a lot of ritual stuff going on. There was, like I said, about the honor and everything. Another interesting thing I learned was that through this, the Chu were kind of like the backward, you know, considered like the backward ones from the other states. They did things different. They had a different dialect. They buried their they buried their bodies like in a different direction of the other, the other states did. So they were sort of looked down on. And then Chu, of course, was trying to not be that way. As time goes, oh, sorry. They're, they're weird Southern people. Yeah, something along those lines. I love bumpkins, that kind of thing. They were thought that way, but they didn't want to be that way. This battle that's going to happen is between Qin, which is Q-I-N, and Jin. And they're all involved in it. This, so this happened in 627, in the Zhao Mountains. Again, that's that XAL. Remember in 632, we had the Battle of Chengpu, right? That was when Duke Wen, Chang'er, he defeated um, Chu, and he became one of the five hegemons. Well, there are only five. Yeah, sometimes there's six, but technically there's five. There's one guy in between. I can't remember okay. who he is. But we've already had a couple of them. We already had Duke Wan. And then remember he got, they let him starve to death. <laughs> remember that? I'm sorry, laughing about that. Remember the eunuchs gone wild? Oh my God, I laughed at that when I listened to that. <laughs> no shout for him. <laughs> You're so going to kill you. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, no child for, for him. And then he died. So after that, the state of Zhang, that's that little state in between, was an ally of Chu. Right? So after the battle, Jin um, tried to wanted to invade Zhang to get revenge. So like I said, Zhang is this buffer state. So yes. at 630, the Jin, they're in the north, 
attack Zheng, that's the little town, the little state, and besiege its capital city. Now, Qin, Qin, right? They're over in the, um, towards the west. They join the force of Jin. And because the their duke was a, he liked Chang'er. They were buddies, you know? So so this guy from Zheng, his name is Zhu Zhu. See, examine these names. He visited Duke Mu of Qin at night one night. And he told the duke that if Zheng was conquered, there would be no benefit to Qin, Qin, because they did not share a border at the time. On the other hand, Jin would op- occupy Zheng's territory and would make Jin stronger and a greater threat to the Qin. And more meat for the cannibal yes, king. Yes, right. The cannibal king is still alive now in 630. <laughs> and he's the hegemon. That's right, but he's a little older now, so he probably just, you know, they he he has sort of a, a taste for thigh meat, and they just sort of serve a little thigh meat every so often. He pointed out that if Qin, Qin, I'm sorry, I'm going to say Qin every time, sorry. He pointed out that if Qin gave up attacking the city, the Zheng would be willing to be an ally of the Qin in the future to be a weight against Jin. Qin and Jin, I know it's hard. Jin with the J. So this is the thing. It's sort of like this. Those, it's almost like Europe came together after so many hundreds of years of fighting because it's all these little countries and statelets, you know, just fighting each other and trying to keep a balance of power, basically. The Duke of Qin appointed these three generals to stay in Zheng in order to help them defend the capital city. And at that point, Jin and Qin had no alliance. Their alliance collapsed at this time here. Obviously, if he doesn't join the fight and gives generals to the enemy. Right. They weren't happy about that. So he gave these generals there to hold on to the, you know, help him with the, with, with the, the siege. So because of that, the Jin failed to conquer the Zheng because of they lost the support of their ally. Well, they weren't obviously happy about that. So now Chang'er dies. In 628, his Chang'er dies. So the hegemon is gone now. So now there's not somebody as much, you know, the... Even though um, Chang'er of Jin was a, Jin was, he was good because he had all the allies. But once he died, kind of his alliances, you know, fell apart too. And also his son does not inherit the hegemon chip, right? It's because the hegemon. So now we have no hegemon and we are back to fighting. Exactly. So gradually the state of Qin under Duke Mu becomes stronger. That's what they said in this. And we have the. Duke Xiang ruling Jin now, the son of Chang'er. That is correct. The cannibal That is correct. So, Qin defeated several of the small states, that helps out with our map, and extended its territory closer to Zheng. So, as Zheng isn't so far anymore, now the Qin started thinking about conquering Zheng. Right? So, it was the Jin, now the the Qin started thinking, oh, we'll conquer it. So, at the time, those three generals who stayed in Zheng sent a message back to the, you know to their to their duke that if the army of if their army attacked Zhang, they would open the gates of the capital to coordinate the campaign so they're already there they'll say okay now we're here you want us to attack we'll open the gates and it'll be in the governor of Qin, he didn't think this was a good idea he told duke mu of Qin, he told him to abandon this plan because it might provoke a crisis but he made up his mind and he's going to continue the plan so He appointed some guys as generals to launch a surprise attack on Zheng. Now, here's another, here's an interesting part. Now, so to enter the territory, they had to pass through the northern gate of the city where the king of the 
that Joe lived. So the main king lives there. So, and he was regarded as the son of heaven. According to traditional manners, all soldiers need to take off their helmets when passing through the city. But these guys didn't. The people were astonished. They pointed out that the Chin soldiers could no way win the war because they were so arrogant. The disrespect. The disrespect. So now you see the Confucianism sort of seeping into the story here. I mean, I don't know. Just take your helmets off. But I guess they didn't know. So now they reached another little, little states in between. It's called Hua. And a hunter that was from Zhang happened to be hunting in Hua. I mean, <laughs> the hunter from Zhang hunting in Hua noticed them. And he knew there wasn't enough time to run back to Zhang to warn everybody. So he decided to fool the Qin army on his own. Now, he must have had a lot of money or something or whatever they, you know, because he paid tribute to the generals in the name of the Zhang. And after receiving the, the tribute, these generals thought that the Zhang knew they were coming and were well prepared for the war. So they gave up the, the, attack, the plan of attacking. But in reality, so, so instead they conquered Hua while they were there. Like, well, we'll just take over this place instead. The Zhang didn't really know anything about the army. So they obviously didn't have a good intelligence service. Clever hunter and a weird hunter with so much wealth. That's kind of odd. So, I mean, I don't know. We must have, yes. But that's the story. Not yet. That's part of the story. So the Jin learned what, that now the Jin knew what was happening, that Qin was trying to invade Zhang. And he was annoyed because they were not only trying to conquer Zhang, but they were challenging the authority of Jin. Even though Chang'e was dead, you know, they felt like they were still the, the hegemon. But the hegemon is really a person. But they felt like they were still because that was the last conference and yada yada. So they planned an ambush of the Qin in the Zhao Mountains, which was on the route of... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The retreat. So if you remember, Chin wasn't going to invade because they're hunter. So they were they took over that place and then their way back. So... Yeah. So they were not prepared to fight against the Jin, and then they, this is the battle. So they they collided at Zhao, and the Jin army was superior, so they won the battle. The three generals were ca all captured by the Jin. 
that a concubine of our friend Chonger, who was also a daughter of the Duke of Chin, he 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 she asked the you know the Duke of Jin to release these three generals so they can go back to Chin and be punished. And he said, okay. So they went back to Chin. But when the three generals came back to Chin, the Duke put on white clothes and he cried and said it was all his fault because he not didn't listen to his governor. Therefore, the three generals were not punished by the Duke of Chin. So as a result of this battle, the Jin um, solidified its status as the most powerful state in northern China for the next several decades. So now the next several you know, episodes will know that Jin is, is the most powerful state for a while. And the Qin, they suffered a significant loss, about 30,000 men, most of which were elite soldiers in the army. And in this period, it, it, in China, it starts to become more where they start just like being like Napoleon and they recruit everybody. Everybody's got to go to war. These armies become huge. But at this time, they're still more like warriors, you know, like so losing 30,000 of your warriors was not like a really good um, situation for the Qin. But in like in the scope of history, it kind of worked out for them because they couldn't continue to expand eastward where all the powerful states were. So they just sort of conquered barbarian tribes and stuff to the west. And they became a little bigger. And then, of course, if you know the whole story, the Chin is the, you know, they're the ones who finally win this thing a long time from now. Okay, but after this, they didn't expand into main China anymore. Correct. But they expanded to the West, encountering the barbarians. Yes. And nomads. Mm -hmm. And to protect their border, they built walls. <laughs> this is the start. Uh, at this time, there are several walls built to protect against barbarians. Uh, so this is the, the start of what will become the Great Wall of China, but it's, uh, of course, pretty pathetic yeah. at this time. Sort of like the wall, Trump's wall. It's very, very yeah. small walls. They're probably like Trump's wall. They, the barbarians are like climbing over. Look, we can get right over this. <laughs> That's interesting. Another, another, another um, thing starts in the 600s, Dan. What starts in the 600s? Great Wall of China. Yeah. Keep finding all these things. There might even have been walls built in the uh, uh, 8th century BC as well. Oh, all right. Well, it's still during our podcast. But the state of Qin is one of the states that starts. That's it. pretty cool. And it's because it's, you know, kind of re related to this battle. Because, you know, if they kept going the other way, maybe they wouldn't have had to, you know, build a wall that way. There's a fun little legend about the Zhao, these mountains here. Want to hear about that? Okay. So the word Zhao, X-I-A-O. Right, that means noise, clamor, hubbub, means things like that. So I'm just sort of going to read. So it's a noisy mountain. Apparently, well, it's noisy because of this. I believe there's a couple of quotes that you know I'll read them right out from the ancient sources. Seventy leagues further west is a mountain. There is an animal on this mountain which looks like an ape, but it has longer arms and is good at throwing things. Its name is the hubbub. Sound to me, it sounds like an orangutan, but I don't know. But it gets more better. This one's a little better. Probably like how the legends, you know, get expanded. Deep in the mountains of the West, human beings exist. More than a chang in size. And that's about three meters, ten feet. They go naked and catch frogs and crabs. They are not shy of men. And when they see them halt to pass the night, they betake themselves to their fire to roast their frogs and crabs. They also watch the moment on which the men are absent and steal their salt. 
to eat their frogs and crabs with. They are called hill sow because they cry this sound themselves. People have cast bamboo into their fires, which on exploding therein, leapt out of it and scared the sow away altogether. When an attack is made on them, they cause their assailants to catch fever. COVID. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> They're all sick. <laughs> if they were in China now, they'd be fine. Never let anybody near them. Although these beings have a human shape, they take other forms and thus belong also to the class of Kwe and Mei which are devils and demons. Nowadays, their abodes occur everywhere in the mountains. I was thinking of the Yeren, the, the Chinese wild man, but uh, this doesn't sound no, like maybe him. maybe not. But is a Chinese wild man like a Yeti or something? Uh, yes. Yeah, but he's tall like that too, so yeah, it's maybe partly it. I remember that this is uh, the last abode of Gigantopithecus Blackie, the, the real Bigfoot. Ah, but uh, they were all dead by this time. What do you think of all this story? It's interesting, right? Probably just hill tribes and stuff, right? I think that these people desperately needed Netflix. <laughs> I tell, you know what? You're so right. I tell people like that all the time. I have a friend who, he always sends me stuff about like these conspiracies. And I said, you got to understand that people didn't have Netflix. They made up stuff like that back then. Yes, imagine that. Uh, okay, there are some really big guys in the hills. They... Eat frogs and crabs and they're <laughs> naked. And they steal salt. <laughs> yes. But they seem quite friendly, actually. Yeah. Wait, could you imagine being around the fire? And they said they'll come around your fire. So you're like, you know, you, you're you're hiking in or you're, you know, you're going on your trip or whatever. And you set camp and you start your fire in the woods. And then these 10 foot tall naked people come by with frogs and crabs. And like, you got any salt? <laughs> I would give them salt. <laughs> exactly. Pass the salt, please. <laughs> I don't know, man. Probably some combination of, you know, hill tribes and, you know, different apes that lived in the in the mountains. And maybe they, who knows, if I was a hill tribesman and the civilized people are coming up, they probably try to scare them and, you know, do all kind of stuff like that. Throw stuff at them from trees and whatnot. But anyway, that's China. I think that was a little cool little story. I liked, uh, I looked up the gerund a bit. The first reports of the Yeren seems to be from uh, 340 BC, so maybe they evolved into the Yeren. That's probably what it is. Is it in the same mountains? I uh, don't. It, they're mainly in Hubei province. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, in the Shenongia forestry district. You pronounce so well. Uh, so that's it for China. Yeah, I think we probably could go to another place, but maybe we'll do it in another episode. What do you think? Oh, we'll do one more thing. One more thing? All right. Let's go to Greece. You heard of Draco? Oh, yes. Draconian laws. That's right. This is where the name comes from. From Draco, the Greek, he was the first person to make a law code in ancient Greece. He's the first recorded legislator in Athens, I should say, anyway. He replaced the prevailing system of oral law and blood feuds with a written code to be enforced by a court of law. It kind of reminds you of, um, you know, the Assyrians had some their laws written down already, but these guys... They're just writing their laws down the first time in Greece. Yeah, I think this is an important point because uh, of the words court of law. So now we have some some sort of justice system that doesn't reply, it doesn't depend on oral laws and blood feuds. Yeah. And that's great. But he is a bit harsh, isn't he? Yeah, he's definitely a bit harsh. We don't know much about him, but they so, um, well, the laws, right, they were, they were written on um, 
wooden tablets and post-its so anybody that could read could see them on these four-sided pyramids. But the laws were pretty much anything you did, you could be put to death or, you know, forced into slavery. For example, any creditor, any sorry, any debtor whose status was lower than that of his creditor was forced into slavery. The punishment is less, is if, you, if uh, somebody up above your class owed a lower person money, they didn't get as much. But the death penalty was a punishment for even minor offenses, including stealing a cabbage. Plutarch says that when he asked when they asked Draco why he fixed the death punishment for almost everything, he said he considered these lesser crimes to deserve it, and he had no greater punishment for the more important ones. Ouch. <laughs> but the laws did distinguish between murder and involuntary homicide. But you were still killed for both of them. No. I think involuntary homicide, you were exiled. Which isn't that unusual. Nice. So if you could steal a cabbage, you're killed. But if you accidentally kill somebody because you're clumsy, you just have to be exiled. The homicide law is interesting, though, because it reminded me of something you said when we did the Assyrian law. It states it's up to the victims. The homicide law states that it's up to the victim's relatives to prosecute the killer. He's saving a lot of money here. He doesn't need prisons because he's killing everybody or exiling them. Yeah. And he doesn't need police because yeah. the, the, the relatives are supposed to do the police work. Yeah. It makes you happy of our modern society sometimes, though, doesn't it? Like, we really don't have that kind of situation. We must also remember at this time that uh, Athens is not the democracy yet. No. But this is, um, this is um, you know, they're, they're trying to. There, he also, though, he also um, introduced a, a lot. They cho- you know how you're chosen by lot? The Council of 400. So that's all free men who could furnish themselves with a set of military equipment could be elected to the Council of 400 by lot. So that's a start of something, too. That's, you know, it's a, it's a start. So it's like randomly deciding who will be in the government. Yes, exactly. I mean, yeah, it's one way to do it. I don't know. You know, it might not be such a... It's kind of like juries. And if you're really rich, you could be an archon. Right. Yeah, you have to be rich to be all these things. It's pretty funny how it was all it, it was all um, written into law, your status in the ancient days. Also saving money for the state. Everybody has to bring their own wealth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, he, he has a, there's a legend of his death, which is probably obviously a legend. But in the, in the traditional ancient Greek show of approval, his supporters threw so many hats and shirts and cloaks on his head that he suffocated. <laughs> That's uh, horrible. Yeah, I mean, seriously. <laughs> He's like, okay, guys, stop, stop. No more hats. <laughs> the truth is unclear, but he was driven out. But they say he was driven out of Athens by the Athenians to the neighboring island of Aegina. That's where he spent the remainder of his life. Probably because of uh, all the executions. Probably. Like, dude, I stole a cabbage, please. So now I think we can end this episode. Okay, we'll leave Athens there. And next time we will go to... Assyria. Wow. It's going to happen. Yes. It's going to start happening. (laughs) Great. Please do check out our Patreon. We do need more patrons for the show. If you like what we are doing, make a contribution on Patreon. It's a mutual agreement. So if we don't make episodes, you don't pay anything. If we make episodes, you pay. So the more you pay, the more episodes. Yay. Yay. Okay. All right. On to Assyria. We're going to go on to Assyria in the next episode. Thanks, guys. And after Bonipal lives again, and we'll kill him again. Yeah, we'll make him more dead. Cheers. Cheers.
If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.